Bokoturv, everyone. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. I'm glad that you are with me this morning. It is a beautiful day. It is a, a joy to be with you. We are studying uh, Parsha Bamidbar. This is the second reading. It's a lot of good information to share today. Hope everybody's doing well. I uh, want to just remind you a couple things that I, I haven't mentioned uh, necessarily very often, lately anyway, and that is to like the video that you're watching now and to share the video. Many of you have done that and, and continue to do that, and it's a great help to get in people um, you know, invited to the channel and more importantly invited to Lapid Judaism and giving them the opportunity to, uh, well, hear teachings that they probably you know, haven't heard ever. Uh, it's going to bring a lot of joy and uh, peace to their life. Baruch Hashem. Also want to remind you that in the comments of this video, we have the phone number for the text to give. We are, uh, we ha well, I was about to say we're building, but, but the truth of that matter is now we have, we have built, uh, it's amazing to even think that, but we have built the first ever uh, kosher mikvah uh, for a, uh, you know, synagogue uh, like us that actually believes in the Messiah in probably 2,000 years. You know, I say that, but Zach and Yosef pointed something out that is true, and that is that um, at, at certain points in history, there were uh, groups of, uh, of people who believed in the Messiah who uh, basically were Lapid Jews. They adopted uh, the practice of the Messiah, which is Pharisaical Judaism. They lived Jewish lives, and I have a, a, a history about this, actually, uh, some books that were written in the mid-20th century about that particular uh, topic, but it's very fascinating. So the truth be told, it could be that those believers, those Jewish believers, uh, had mikvahs as well and probably did. Um, so I say 2,000 years because we don't have any uh, substantial record of that, but I'm assuming that uh, that's the case. But nevertheless, it's certainly the first, uh, the first uh, kosher mikvah, an actual kosher mikvah for a believing synagogue in, in our modern age, uh, in, the, in the last several centuries, that's for sure, to the very least. But anyway, that's just those kind of Betty Crocker, uh, Duncan Hines. The point being is that you can be involved in it, and I'm going to ask you to please be involved in it by texting to give $54, uh, text to give $54 to the Mikvah Project, and be a part of that uh, beautiful experience. So uh, it's amazing, and we are, uh, Bezrat Hashem, going to be having a ribbon-cutting ceremony this coming uh, Yom Rishon, this coming Sunday. Uh, all that information is to be announced. We're going to be working on that today and this week as far as what that's gonna, that, that is going to look like. And uh, we'll be giving, uh, at the ribbon cutting ceremony, I'm, I'm sure we'll be giving uh, tours of the mikvah and um, allowing people to see it. And naturally, uh, we'll be taking photography and that kind of thing for people who can't be here in person. Uh, but it's going to be wonderful. So anyway... Baruch Hashem. So let's look at anybody from Maine. By the way, have, have, did we did we did we gain a Maine person? Anybody out there? Let me know. Um, still, I'm still on the on the uh, on the Maine plan, right? Baruch Hashem. Parsha Bami Bar. The Book of Numbers. We're going to be in uh, the Art Scroll Chumash, page seven twenty nine. This is going to be chapter one of the book of Numbers. We're going to begin reading in chapter, or excuse me, in verse 20. And the second Aliyah goes from verse 20 through until, looks like a pretty long reading, goes through until, uh, well, it's the end, of the end of the chapter, actually, until chapter two. So let's read, 
and then we'll get right to our insights, shall, shall we? So verse 20 says, These were the sons of Reuben, firstborn of Israel, their offspring according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of the names according to their headcount. Every male from 20 years of age and up, everyone who goes out to the legion, their count for the tribe of Reuben, 46,500. For the sons of Simeon, their offspring according to their families, according to their father's household, its numbers, by number of the names according to their head count. Every male from 20 years of age and up, everyone who goes out to legion, their count for the tribe of Simeon, 59,300. <clears throat> for the sons of Gad, their offspring according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of the names from 20 years of age and up. Everyone who goes out to legion, their count for the tribe of Gad, 45,650. For the sons of Judah, their offspring according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of the names from 20 years of age and up. Everyone who goes out to the legion, their count for the tribe of Judah, 74,600. For the sons of Issachar, their offspring according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of the names from 20 years of age and up. Everyone who goes out to legion, their count for the tribe of Issachar, 44,400. For the sons of Zebulun, their offspring according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of the names, from ten, 20 years of age and up, everyone who goes out to the legion, their count, for the tribe of Zebulun, 57,400. For the sons of Yosef, the sons of Ephraim, their offspring according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of names, from 20 years of age and up, everyone who goes out to the legion, their count, for the tribe of Ephraim, 40,500. For the sons of Manasseh, their, their offspring, according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of the names from 20 years of age and up, everyone who goes out to the legion, their count for the tribe of Manasseh, 32,200. For the sons of Benjamin, their offspring, according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of the names from 20 years of age and up, everyone who goes out to the legion, their count for the tribe of Benjamin, 35,400. For the sons of Don, their offspring, according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of the names from 20 years of age and up, everyone who goes out to legion, their count for the tribe of Dan, 62,700. For the tribe of Asher, their offspring according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of the names from 20 years of age and up, everyone who goes out to legion, their count for the tribe of Asher, 41,500. The sons of Naphtali, there's that name Naphtali again, their offspring according to their families, according to their father's household, by number of the names from 20 years of age and up, everyone who goes out to legion, their count for the tribe of Naphtali, 53,400. These are the countings that Moshe, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel counted. Twelve men of men from his father's household were they. They were all the counting of the children of Israel according to their father's household from 20 years of age and up. Everyone who goes out to legion in Israel, all their countings were 603,550. The Levites, according to their father's tribes, were not counted among them. Verse 45, Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, But you shall not count the tribe of Levi, and you shall not take a census of them among the children of Israel. Now you appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, over its utensils, and over everything that belongs to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its utensils, and they shall minister to it, and they shall be encamped around the tabernacle, when the tabernacle journeys, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle encamps, the Levites shall erect it. And an alien who approaches shall die. The children of Israel. Now, by the way, let me just back up there and read that again. It says, when the tabernacle journeys, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle encamps, the Levites shall erect it. And an alien who approaches it, approaches it shall die. Um, again, this kind of reminds me of the very common theme that is shared in Christian circles that says uh, about the wall of separation, the wall of partition, uh, um, yeah, partition, where it says 
that anybody who's not circumcised, if you go beyond this point, you could suffer death. And uh, that has been the source of the glass half empty uh, sermons for decades, centuries, where it says, see, uh, you know, God didn't want any non-Jews to go uh, past this point. Uh, that was the old God but the, uh, of the Old Testament, but the new God of the New Testament came around and said, you know what, uh, that, that wasn't right. Now we're going to make it so that anybody can come. You don't have to follow any rules. It's like Outback Steakhouse, no rules, just right. You just come on in. And God said, uh, according to that theology, God said, you know what, I'm just going to nullify my word. I'm going to, I know my word, I said it was eternal, but I was just kidding. And um, I'm going to, I'm just going to forget it, you know. Uh, I I, I am a God uh, and I change all the time. Um, There's shadows are turning in me all over the place. Uh, And this is one of them. So here it is. Uh, You know what, I I don't know what I was talking about back then. That was wrong of me. It was very mean-spirited. Um, people should do what I should be able to do what they want to do. Um, uncircumcised, circumcised. What was I thinking? I'm so I'm so silly. You know what? Just come on in, everybody. Door wide open. Don't even buy a ticket. Um, feel the burn. You know that kind of stuff. So that's what's been taught. It's completely wrong. So it says here, an alien can't come near it lest they die. So what's the solution? Well, let me just. To continue this theme here, what's the solution? It says the alien can't come near lest he die. So what's the solution? Well, the solution to the Greek mind, the solution to the Roman mind, is when you have a law that doesn't work for you, the solution is get rid of the law. That's the lawless mind. The lawless mind says, if the law doesn't work for you, if you don't like it, you think it's wrong, you know, it's like, you know, it's, I, I want to come near. I'm not a Jew. I want to come near. I want to participate. I want to have all the benefits, but no, the, none of the responsibilities. And, but the law says I'm not allowed, so the solution is get rid of the law. So the sermon became, the law has been nullified uh, at the old rugged cross. The old rugged cross, at the old rugged cross, one of the great things that happened was that, uh, that God, Hasvishalom, took the Bible and nailed it to the cross. He decided that he was going to not only kill the Messiah, but he was going to kill his word. Well, you know, that was the great thing, right? That's where we're supposed to be happy about that. But that's not, that's not how the Jew thinks. The Jew thinks that if the law is, I'm not allowed to come unless I conform to God's word, that's the law, then what I need to do is conform to God's word. In other words, if I want to get into the place, right, I need to buy a ticket, I shouldn't break in the back door. Like, if they say, listen, you can't come into the uh, concert unless you have the appropriate uh, credentials, which means you got to buy a ticket. And you say, I don't want to buy a ticket. Why? It's too expensive. Uh, uh, I could afford it, but I just don't want to. So what are you going to do? I'm going to go and I'm going to break in the back door. Now, you'll end up going to prison for that, and then you'll be in prison saying it ain't fair. But that's the theology we preach. Euphemistically, of course. I don't preach that theology, but you know, that's the theology we preach. Doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't. This is why sometimes we just need to take a step back, forget about our bumper sticker theology. It's very moving, you know, Um, but we need to think about it in a more logical, um, logical terms. So it says, the children of Israel shall encamp every man at his camp and every man at his banner according to their legions. The Levites shall encamp around the tabernacle of testimony so that they shall be no wrath upon the assembly of the children of Israel and the Levites shall safeguard 
the watch of the tabernacle of the testimony. The children of Israel did everything that Adonai commanded Moses, so they did. Now listen to that. <clears throat> That's in the Bible. It says here that the Bnei Yisrael bekoasher zevadonai et Moshe koasu. That the children of Israel did everything, earthing. They did earthing that God commanded Moses. Not some things. They didn't do just the moral laws. They did earthing. By the way, I like the word legion. You know, we use con con uh, community or congregation, but I think I would like to re re refer to all of us as a legion. We're, le we're the Lapid Legion. Just like that. Don't you like that? Instead of Lapid Nation or Lapid Community or Lapid Congregation, that's just so, uh, I don't know, it's so metrosexual. I think we should say we are the Lapid Legion. Let me know if you like that. <coughs> I, li <laughs> I like it. I like Lapid Legion. We're legionnaires. Anyway, there's nothing new in the New Testament. Did you know that? Onward, Christian soldier. I mean, you know that. You've heard that song, right? I uh, probably didn't sing it right. But then, then again, I don't really sing anything right. So it says here, um, <clears throat> in the Cahill Tumash, there is no surprise that the opening parsha of the Book of Numbers, which shares with the book as a whole the name Bamibar, that is in the desert, describes how God assembles the young nation into his army. True, the Jewish people were referred to as an army as soon as they left Egypt, and it was on that selfsame day that the legions of God, there's that word again, went out of the land of Mitzrayim. But it is only in this parasha, as they are about to leave the sheltered ivory tower yeshiva of Mount Sinai and begin their foray into the foreboding desert, that we see the people tallied, organized by genealogy, and conscripted into a formal army. So, um, the reason I started out this uh, insight by saying there's nothing new in the New Testament is because many people are aware that in the New Testament, you know, there's this idea of being the armies of the Lord, the Lord, uh, the armies of Christ or whatever, you know, uh, onward Christian soldier. But the reality is, is that that idea that is shared by the apostles actually comes from the um, uh, from the, the Torah, from the Jewish idea that we are uh, we are all part of the armies of Hashem. Uh, there's another insight in here in the Kale Humash speaking of armies I want to share. It says uh, in chapter 1 and verse 20, all who are fit to serve in the army. It says this phrase and its repetition in the tally of each tribe implies that no one included in the census was unable to go to war. They were strong, all able-bodied men. This was a miracle, it says, as we know that all, listen to this, this is just a reminder of, of, of what happened when the Torah was given. It says, As we know, all the sick and crippled Jews were healed when the Torah was given. All the sick and crippled Jews were healed when the Torah was given. So, Several things about this I want to point out. Number one, on the surface, what this teaches us is, is, is just what it says. That 
everybody who was counted in the census, 20 years and up, was able to serve in the army. As an aside to the aside, um, you were not allowed to, you were not held accountable to a shim until you reach the age of 20, not fully accountable. Now, the age of accountability begins at age 13, 12 for a girl, but 13 for a boy. And you begin to become accountable to a God at that point. But you're not allowed to be held accountable for any um, uh, criminal charges, really, or certainly any charges that would warrant death until you reach the age of 20. So there's like a seven-year grace period. Seven? Did I say seven years? There's a seven-year grace period. Did I say grace? Yeah. Uh, seven-year grace period um, during that time. And, and, and by the way, what's really critical about this is that we know this fact. We know this fact about accountability, the age of accountability, when somebody can be brought before the court and so on. We know this because of the oral Torah. So if you are a word of God only person, as I've said multiple times, and you, you, you discount the oral Torah as not valid, the rabbis are just terrible, they're, they're evil, then what that means is, is that anytime you see somebody breaking the Shabbat, to include your, your, your little baby boys and baby girls, you've got to kill them. And if you say, well, I just, I, Rabbi, I just can't go kill stone people. Well, then you're not word of God only. Well, I mean, you know, I, I believe that, no, stop. Where is I believe in the Bible? Where is I, well, on what page is your little um, oral tradition about why you're not stoning people to death for breaking the Shabbat? Now, don't misunderstand me. Nobody should go out and stone anybody to death for breaking the Shabbat. I'm making, I'm, I am uh, illustrating the absurdity of, of, a, of, of a belief by using an example. Okay? I'm, I'm simply saying, pointing out the absurdity of a belief by using such an example. If you're going to be word of God only, ladies and gentlemen, you have to be word of God only. At, at some point, and, and, by, and by the way, you can't be word of God only. It's, it is quite impossible, actually. Guaranteed. Totally impossible. But if you're going to claim to be word of God only, then you have to be word of God only. But you can't be. So what you end up doing is you in, insert your own oral Torah. But I digress. So that's number one. Number two... It says, as we know, all the sick and crippled Jews were healed when the Torah was given. Now, this is, of course, Yeshua came and, um, uh, you know, he, he is the living Torah. And what do we, what, what's the main thing that is said about Yeshua's ministry? What's the, the, when you talk to people and you're like, you know, what's the main thing? You know, um, uh, Haver read, I think it was Haver read the, uh, yeah, it was Haver read the Besor this last week, and he read the portion where it talks about Yeshua standing up and reading from the scroll, and and then Yeshua said, you know, this is this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The number one thing that's talked about with the, with respect to the Mashiach is that he's opening blind eyes, that he's he's healing the deaf, he's he's causing the lame to walk, he's causing Lazarus from 
from the tomb. In other words, that anywhere he went, anywhere that he was presented, anywhere, uh, anything that he touched was, was, was healing was brought. So healing and Torah go hand in hand. Now, yesterday I was saying that whenever we experience a holiday in Judaism, it is not merely a memorial, but rather it is experiential in the sense that when we encounter the holiday, we encounter the same anointing that existed at the time of the event. In other words, it's like it's like there's this channel of divine energy and we get to experience it. We get to walk into it. So, what does that mean? That means that if you have an ailment, if there's something going on in your body and mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever, Shavuot is going to be a time for healing. It has to be. You say, Rabbi, that's, that's interesting. That's your opinion. No, no, it has to be. It has to be a time for healing. Because it was a time for healing when it initially happened. So therefore, it has to be a time for healing now. So it says, it goes on to say, we see from this that the Jewish people, by virtue of their connection to God, expressed through studying the Torah and fulfilling his commandments, were not bound by the laws of nature. Furthermore, their ability to override nature was self-evident, expressed not only in spiritual concerns, but in physical health and well-being as well. So, Torah is about, uh, Torah, I should say, Torah and healing go hand in hand. So, when you encounter the Torah, you encounter healing. And also, when you encounter the Torah, it takes you beyond nature. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, you know, people want the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, the gifts of the Spirit can only be truly made manifest where there is Torah. The, the gifts of the Spirit can only truly be made manifest where there is Torah. Why? Because Torah is the gifts of the Spirit. And whenever we have Torah in our life, that's when we get to live beyond the supernatural. This is why we don't, we can take a day and a rest. This is why, and we don't have to be worried about, oh, I'm not going to make a living. Or uh, we're, we're outside of nature. Okay? Why? Because living a Torah life, you're living inside eternity. So it goes on to say, this holds true today when the Torah was given on Mount Sinai. I'm sorry. This holds true today as it did when the Torah was given on Mount Sinai. To the extent that we live our lives according to the dictates of the Torah, we too will be blessed with spiritual and physical health despite any obstacles posed by the laws of nature. You say, well, you know, this is just uh, the natural course of my life. I should be, the, you know, oh, this is genetic or whatever. Could be. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that some things are genetic. I'm not denying that some things are just the course of nature as we get older. But what, I, what I'm saying is that we're not necessarily bound to those dictates. 
Another another way of putting this is Ain Old Milvaldo. If Hashem wants to make us bound to those dictates for his own purposes, fine. Everything comes to Hashem. It's just a little subtle reminder that we should be careful when we say, well, you know, the reason that, oh, I'm, uh, I don't know, the reason my beard has got some gray in it is because, you know, I'm getting older and that's just what happens to guys a lot of times. Not always, but they get some gray in their beard. It's just natural. No, no, no. You say, well, that's science. I believe in science. It's science. Okay, great. It is. But who created science? Hashem. The reason I have gray in my beard is it's Hashem. You say, uh, Rabbi, you're so silly. It's because you're getting a little bit older. Okay, that's science. But God made science, and so God determined that I should have gray in my beard. So when I when you when you chalk everything up to Hashem, then you're making it known that He's in total control. And by the way, that's very liberating. It's very liberating. Because otherwise, you feel like you're a victim to just chance and random acts of Mother Nature. But when you understand that this is happening because Hashem wills it in my life, then you can have a lot of shalom, even when Hasve shalom, it's a bad situation. That brings comfort even in bad situations. You know? I lost uh, some of my hair. Hashem wanted me to. I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to talk to him about that, but who am I to say? What is the clay to say to the potter? I'm just fortunate to be alive, right? Okay, uh, Aki.Yitsa. A couple of insights here from Yaki.Yitsa I want to share. I really don't care about my hair thing. I, I talk about it all the time and I joke about it, but I could really care less. I could care hairless. <clears throat> I really don't care. I'm just letting you know that. I'm not self-conscious about it at all. I'm regularly not self-conscious about anything about myself, actually. Um, I joke a lot about um, being uh, prideful and looking good in jackets and stuff like that, but it's all I'm all kidding. I really don't care. I'm just letting you know. It's all teasing. All right, so... Um, says here, Jatwaletu Ah, ah. Torah was given to Israel. We talked about this yesterday, how Torah was given in the um, wilderness or whatever. It says, Torah was given to Israel free of charge. Just as fire, water, and desert are free of charge. This comes from Midrash Rabbah, Numbers chapter 1, brought down by Akira Yitzhak. I wanted to share that little simple insight. Why? Because... It's talking, it's, it goes, there's more discussion about this, but basically the, the bottom line is that Torah is free to mankind like fire, water, and the desert are free of, uh, to mankind. That You could substitute desert for, um, uh, you know, earth. And, of course, we know that the four elements, fire, water, wind, and earth, and the Torah is the spirit. So the word for spirit is the same word for breath, like wind. The bottom line that's being taught about here is that the Torah is is made free to all mankind. Why? Because it is a basic element. And in fact, it's true. Torah is the basis for all matter. I mean that literally, and I also mean it um, uh, euphemistically. The Torah is the basis for all matter. 
it so therefore when we take up the Torah, we're taking up the very basic building blocks of the universe. You think about the Big Bang Theory, which, which by the way, um, is a false theory, but, but think about the idea of the power, you know, it, if somebody could say, I wish I had the creative power of the universe in my possession. Um, of course, they might want it for inappropriate desires or whatever, but but the reality is is that when we study the Torah like we're doing today, we literally have the creative power of the universe in our possession. Why? Because God spoke and things came to be. Well, what's the Torah? The Torah is God's word. In other words, it's the product of his speaking, which was the, the uh, tool with which he created everything. So therefore, when we study the Torah, we are tapping into creative power, creative energy. This is why, if going back to what I was talking about earlier about the Torah brings healing, the Torah takes us beyond nature. Why is that so? Because the Torah is the creative element used for all of nature, used for all of the universe. So the reason you can go beyond nature with the Torah is because nature is a product of Torah. In other words, Torah is not subject to nature. Nature is subject to Torah. One final insight here. It says, covering the holy ark in a cover made of blue wool. So the, uh, the ark was covered in blue wool. The, the question becomes why. Covering the ark in a cover of blue wool indicates its prime importance. Since the path of God leads via the tablets and the Torah that rests inside the Holy Ark, Tehelet, that is sky blue, symbolizes the heavens and throne of God's glory. Didn't, did Yeshua say, didn't he say that I'm the way, the truth, and the life? He did. And it says here that the pathway to God, the path that leads to God, is the Holy Torah that rests inside of the Ark. End of our Aliyah today. We are out of time, but not out of content. We will be back tomorrow, God willing, for the third reading of the Aliyah and a lot more insights. So don't miss it. Please text to give $54 to the mikvah. Please share this video, like this video. Reach out to somebody in Maine and invite them to watch. That'd be great. Everybody have a blessed day. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow.